Hi, I'm Paul Carr, and this is my fifth podcast. And uh, today I'm going to read an article that I had in the LA Times recently, and then I will comment. Uh, yeah, this one gets me. But anyway, um, <clears throat> after my favorite fifth grader of all time went to prison, chess kept us connected. And then there's a really lovely photo of a chess set that he sent me in a letter, and it's um, created out of paper. It's one-dimensional. And uh, it's a regular chesser, chess or checkers board, you know, 8 by 8 64 squares. And uh, half the pieces have his initials, and half the other pieces have my initials, you know, and they're black and white teams. So I will read the article and then comment. Um, the letter I received from my former student thanked me for teaching him chess in fifth grade. It was a setup. Now, 11 years later, he was inviting me to play his game of chess, inmate's chess. He is still my favorite fifth grader. He was sweet and charismatic then, but now he offered an update. Mr. Carr, when I was 14, I caught nine attempted murder charges and arson and some other charges, so I'm in prison. But I knew most of that. I had kept an ear on his doings for quite a long time. He grew up in East Salinas, California, in a Costa Plaza, a low-income housing project in an exceedingly dangerous place, the great Latino killing zone for far too many. A few years later, he moved to the small, tough town where I taught. He'd show up after school, often not attending class that day, and he'd have a chessboard set up directly on the other side of my door, and I couldn't get past him. He'd be sitting on the floor outside, cross-legged, big smile on his face. Just one game, teacher, come on. We usually played three. I taught him chess, and he cautiously unloosened de details about his life in the hood. I learned he never knew his dad. Mom was in and out of jail. He spent many days in the hospital for various ailments, mostly asthma-related. My wife, at that time, was an elementary latchkey teacher giving children with no adults at home a place to go before and after school. Many carried their house keys around their necks. My young chess mate attended her class, and she said to him, when that boy comes into the room, he brightens it up, he smiles, he laughs, he brings joy with him. But in middle school, he had to pick a street gang, Norteño, Soreño, or Mara Salvatrucha. If he didn't, he'd be fair game for all three. He chose one and became a full-fledged active gang member. Soon thereafter, one of the other gangs shot at him and missed. He knew who had done it, and he burned their house down in the middle of the night. <clears throat> nine people were at the home asleep. No one was injured, but that's how he ended up with nine attempted murder charges. He was only 14 years old then, and that started his journey of incarceration, and it began at a detention center for juveniles in Tracy, California. Then at 16, he was sent off to hard time in Corcoran State Prison, and finally to maximum security at Salinas Valley State Prison. For years, he did time in what's called administrative segregation, which is bureaucratic verbiage for solitary confinement. In each prison, he played chess, and he read, and he did a lot of both. I'm not reading pussy books, Mr. Carr. I'm reading books about revolutions. I want Mao's Red Book and The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Oh, sorry for using the word pussy. Even in prison, he remained polite to me. Hey, he wrote me, 
When I was in Corcoran, I played Sirhan Sirhan and Charlie Manson. We were on the same cell block, but different tiers. Sirhan cheats. Charlie was really good. I beat him once, but I don't think he was really paying attention. Well, as for my inmate's chess invitation, we would play on the paperboard that he created. All of that board, like I said, was done in pencil. Um, teacher man, we play through the mail. One letter, one move, no cheating, he wrote. We played that one game for just short of three years. Every two to three weeks, we exchanged letters, and in them we'd have our move. We made a promise that if he ever got out, we'd finish outside in the sun with the wind on his face. On a November day, it was Thanksgiving and his birthday, he was released at age 26. The next day we played in a parking lot in Monterey. And you know what, I'm sorry to say I beat him, but perhaps he was distracted, just like when he played Charlie Manson. Charlie was distracted. Um, my student kept on getting cell phone calls and he was wired, super hyper with freedom. I took his queen and it was over. Maybe it wasn't fair, but I did it. Since then, he's been in and out of jail and it pains me to say he has not mended his ways. I have not heard from him in some time. I still play chess. I hope he does too. Sometimes I wish, like I said, I had let him win. Um, so anyway, yeah, oh boy, this guy. Uh, great kid when I had him. And uh, eventually I visited him in Salinas Valley State Prison, level four, maximum security. Uh, he was in chains. Took a long time for me to get a security clearance, and it was always a nightmare to go in and to see him. It was an ordeal, real ugly, not nice. Uh, I called it doing the Jesus. You go, you go in, and you uh, you go to the counter, and you have to sign in. You have to see if your visit has been approved, and uh, then you they they see if you are or you are not. And the reason it can be unapproved as if the inmate has misbehaved or if there's any kind of screw-ups, of which there were many, um, then you just can't see him. And in his case, nobody else in the world visited him because in uh, California, uh, at least at Salinas Valley State Prison Level 4 Maximum Security, if someone's a felon, they cannot go in there. So I was the only visitor he ever had. And, uh, it, it was it was pretty incredible. It was incredible. So I did, like I said, I did the Jesus. So the the um, COs, the correction officers, would ask me to step back. You step back and you put your arms out like you're going to be crucified. Mm -hmm. They come over and they they do a pat down. Um, uh, they if they want, they can make you roll up the your pant legs. They can make you take off your shoes, take off your socks. Can they look for weapons or messages or anything, drugs? Um, if they want to do a, a body cavity search on you, you know, to look up the old whoo-hoo, yeah, they can. Um, and I, that never happened to me, but I told myself that it was such an ordeal for me to go and visit him that if they wanted to do a body search, I was going to let them do it. Plus, I'd probably end up writing about it anyway. Um, so then you step back to the counter after you're okay. Oh, and you have to wear special clothes. You can't wear black. You can't wear white. Uh, you can't have a watch. You can't have jewelry. You can't have a comb in your pocket. Uh, you cannot bring your wallet in. Um, 
uh, on and on and on. And if, if you had any of those things, that would be enough of a reason not to allow you to visit. So, so you're, you, you learn over time what, to, what you can and what you cannot wear. Then you step up to the counter, and if you have a watch or a wallet, you give it to them. They put it in a big tube with a top on it and a number, and you remember that number. Then they, they stamp your hand with an ultraviolet stamp um, because um, sometimes it's been attempted that visitors will exchange places with prisoners, and uh, they don't like that. You know. And then you have to go through a sally port. So, oh, you go through the mother of all, the mother of all metal detectors. You only get three shots. And uh, if you fail three times, you cannot go in. Um, and I only failed one time, so they let me in. You know, and they just, you step out, you do it again, you're okay. Uh, Sally ports are like a chicken coop. You walk out of the prison into a chicken coop that's fenced on three sides. You know, the door you just walked through is behind your back and you stop and you wait there and the guards look at you in a camera and then they wait you, and, and you're in this cell a chicken a chicken wire cell thick chicken wire and then the front gate in front of you opens and you move into that and then that gate closes behind you and you so you are in another uh, basically a chicken wire fence cage you know so so what's happened is they are processing you in stages and so you can't you can't you don't have the potential to do anything violent quick or fast you you are contained at all points anyway then i i walked i remember it was uh, 614 steps you walk 614 steps to the visitors building which is really eerie because there are inmates walking around outside sweeping up the grounds and um you're you're there you're by yourself there's guards do not accompany you and uh you present yourself at the visitor's building, A or B, I went to B, and you give them the little note that you have, and then they call and they check to make sure that you are who you supposedly say you are, and um, there's a, a correction officer outside the room, and they, they let you in after you're approved again, and then you walk inside the room, and it's a pretty big room. Um, I used to count, there was like 30 tables, and there's a correction officer inside the room, and he's standing behind a podium, and he is behind a taped area. And, the, and there are, are inmates in this visitor's room. Um, and uh, they're dressed in, they always have uh, jeans. They're, the inmates are always dressed in denims, so they're easily identifiable, and their families are in there. However, my guy was very violent, and um, he <clears throat> was not allowed in the visitor's room but I got to see him in the window. So in the window was, uh, it's a little tiny cell. There's three of them, plexiglass. There's a chrome chair outside, aluminum chrome chair. You sit in the chrome chair and your inmate is brought into the room. A light goes on, the inmate goes in the room. And that was the first time I went, it was like, oh my God. So he was chained. He was chained uh, ankle to ankle chain, waist chain, <coughs> chains from the ankle to the waist and uh, hands behind his back. So when, when he walks into this tiny little cell that's got plexi, so he's totally contained. It's probably like a six by six foot cell at the most. Um, he's got a shelf on his side with a phone. I have a shelf on my side with a phone. And he, he's put into the room. The door is shut. There's a big slot behind his back. He has to back into it. And he puts his hands through the slot. There's a correction officer on the outside and a correction officer um, 
undoes his handcuffs. So now his hands are free, but he's still um, shackled at the feet and the waist and the waist down to the feet. So then um, he grabs a phone and we talk. We get 45 minutes. Uh, very intense, you know, and he was a, when I saw him, the first time I saw him, I thought it was the wrong guy because he was a 10-year-old kid when I last saw him and, and now he's in his 20s and uh, you know, he was a cute little Latino kid and now he's this muscle-bound, no-haired, Fu Manchu, uh, definitely the gangster look, <clears throat> you know, Chinese tattoos from his earlobes down to his collarbone. And I was going to tell a correction officer, uh, hey, uh, <laughs> this is the wrong guy. And uh, then he smiled at me. And I went, oh, my God, that's Rogelio. Rogelio is not his real name, but uh, in the many stories I tell about him, we always call him Rogelio. So anyway, yeah, that's what we would do. And uh, we would talk about chess. And he would tell me about prison and... Um, Whenever we talked on the phones, we realized everything was recorded. And uh, correction officers have a tendency to be, I'm being kind here, real harsh. I'm going to say it again. I'm being real kind here. Um, so everything we said was recorded, so he had to be very careful. And uh, I picked up sign language, which I used to practice on the way over. I would drive from Monterey to Salinas. It's about 45, 50 minutes each way, and I would practice sign language with my, my hand. So one-handed. So... Um, Sometimes when we talked, he would sign to me. You know, he'd move over a bit so the correction officer in the, in the visitor's room wouldn't see him, and he'd say, like, you know, if his fingers are fine, Mr. Carr, they gassed the shit out of us. Um, you know, and okay. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, it was real tough, and um, wasn't fun for me. It was a really dark and ugly ride for me. I mean, uh, that's really the under, underbelly of American society is the, the penal system. And uh, I can tell more about this, and I will. Um, but that's the start. That's plenty. This is kind of the longest podcast I've done. Um, yeah, so I taught him chess, and he taught me inmates chess, and I, I won. So that was that. All right. Well, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this, or at least we're spellbound. Um, if you're hearing a little noise in the background, I have a bull, giant 60-pound bull terrier, and she's snoring. So that's, that's what that is. Thank you very, very much, and uh, I hope you listen soon. Adios.